Well, hello, friends. This is J.B. Hickson with Not By Works Ministries. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. I am out of pocket this weekend for a speaking engagement in New Mexico, so I won't be in the pulpit at Plum Creek Chapel this Sunday, as usual. Uh, But instead, we've got a couple of great uh, speakers lined up for the Bible study and the worship hour. And uh, if you are in the Denver metro area, I encourage you to come for our in-person services Sunday. There will not be a live stream because I am uh, out of pocket, but uh, we will have our regular services. And if you're in the area, I encourage you to come on out to Plum Creek Chapel. But in the meantime, since I wouldn't have my regular live stream from Plum Creek, I thought I would uh, share this uh, separate podcast today on a very important topic that is really the key to understanding God's end times program. You know, if I could single out one passage that really is the linchpin for tying everything together in God's plan of the ages as it relates to the end times and Bible prophecy, it would be this passage from the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 9. In fact, uh, so important is the prophecy of Daniel that uh, a mentor of mine who's with the Lord now that I had as a, a seminary professor and spent some time with outside of class at conferences, Dr. John F. Walvard, he wrote a, an incredible commentary on the book of Daniel, and he called it the key uh, to Bible prophecy. So it really is uh, uh, an important passage. And so I'd like to title today's podcast, God's 490-Year Timetable. God's 490-Year Timetable. And we're going to be focusing in on uh, three uh, or actually four verses from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. But in order to really understand the context, I want to give you an overview of the book of Daniel, or at least contextualize it a little bit. So the time period is about 500 years before Christ, and in the year 626 B.C., uh, the uh, King Nabopolassar of Babylon uh, sort of uh, took over the the empire of Babylon and really changed uh, the course of human history. Uh, He overthrew the rival empire of his day, Assyria, in 605 B.C. And after his death in 605 B.C., Nabopolassar was succeeded by Nebuchadnezzar. Now, most Bible students understand the name Nebuchadnezzar because he was the one who was uh, the subject of much of Daniel's prophecy. But Daniel was a teenager uh, in Babylon at the time that all of these things were happening. And he kind of witnessed firsthand this transfer of power from Nabopolassar to Nebuchadnezzar. He, he witnessed the overthrow of Assyria and Babylon's rise to power. And he later served not only under Nebuchadnezzar, but Daniel found favor under Cyrus, the Persian ruler who eventually conquered Babylon. So Daniel's book his, that he wrote, it, it bears his name. He uses the first person throughout and and, uh, and he's clearly the author of, of this Old Testament book, The Prophecy of Daniel, uh, was written sometime around 530 B.C. So again, that's roughly 500 years prior to the life and ministry of, of Christ. And at one point in his uh, writings, and of course it has all kinds of incredible prophecies within the book of Daniel, we see Nebuchadnezzar's famous uh, uh, vision of the statue, 
We see uh, uh, Daniel's vision. <clears throat> we see the, the great story in chapter 3 of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, not bowing down and worshiping at the altar of government, but standing firm and worshiping God first, something that we probably should keep in mind today with what's going on in our own country. And uh, But when you get to chapter 9, Daniel has a, a lengthy prayer, a beautiful prayer, in which he prays to God and he says, Lord, we know that according to the prophet Jeremiah, the 70 years of captivity that you had prophesied for your people Israel is coming to an end. And it was. And Daniel sort of looked at his calendar on the wall and he said, hey, I wonder what comes next. God had at that point not revealed anything beyond the 70 years of captivity for Israel. And God answers Daniel's prayer by revealing a 490-year timetable. And it's a fascinating passage in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. And it's pivotal for understanding how things are going to play out at the end of the church age prior to the return of Christ to establish his kingdom. So let me give you a couple of caveats here at the beginning, and then I just want to briefly go through this 490-year timetable that God gives us and explain how it fits with the rest of Bible prophecy. So as I've frequently mentioned on different podcasts and videos, uh, I believe that a literal grammatical historical understanding of, of God's Word leads to a clear distinction between God's program for the church and God's program for Israel. Uh, if you take the Bible in its plain face value uh, meaning God has a future for national Israel. There's no doubt about it. The promises made for Israel in the Old Testament, including the one we're about to look at in a moment, must be fulfilled uh, as God said they would be, or else God is a liar, or he's unfaithful and untrustworthy. And so the church today, as the New Testament tells us, is a mystery, something that had not been previously revealed, but was now being revealed in the New Testament. And it represents an intercalation in God's plan for Israel, sort of a, a break. God sort of presses pause on his dealings with Israel, shifts his focus to the church, but at some point the church is going to have finished its time in the spotlight. God's going to call the church home at the rapture, something we've talked a lot about in previous podcasts, and then God's spotlight is going to shift once again uh, to Israel. And Daniel's prophecy actually illustrates this and explains this beautifully just in Daniel 9, 24 to 27, as I'm going to show you. Uh, so we don't need the New Testament to explain that there's going to be a gap of time within the midst of God's 490-year timetable for Israel. Uh, the Old Testament text itself demands that. But the New Testament does kind of fill in some of those gaps and tell us a little bit more information about how God's plan of the ages is going to play out. But it's important to understand that the church is not... Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. God has a plan for the church, and he, of course, has a plan uh, for Israel. And Israel has always been God's chosen nation since he called Abraham in Genesis 12. And God has promised through Israel to bless the whole world. And indeed, someday Christ will come back and he will rule and reign in the beautiful millennial temple, as Ezekiel the prophet described in Ezekiel 40 to 48. And he will rule the entire world in perfect peace and justice. And as Isaiah said, the whole all the governments of the world will be upon his uh, shoulder. And so we look forward to that glorious messianic kingdom, the inauguration of it, but we're not there yet. 
We're not living in the kingdom today. We're living in the church age, a unique age in human history in which the church is called to spread the gospel, fulfill the Great Commission, and and, and warn people uh, that Christ is coming back soon and they need to place their faith in Him so that they can become part of the family of God and be rescued from this present evil age, Galatians uh, 1.4. So uh, we are living in the church age, and Daniel's prophecy sort of explains how we're going to transition into the next age, the, the kingdom age. So again, going back to Daniel chapter 9, uh, Daniel's praise, asking God what comes next in his uh, timetable, the, the, the 70 years of captivity that the prophet Jeremiah had uh, revealed, or that God had revealed through the prophet Jeremiah, were coming to an end, and Daniel wanted to know what comes next. So God begins to answer that prayer uh, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. And so here's what God says. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Now, who's he talking about here? Of course, he's talking about Israel. This is you know, 500 years before the time of Christ. It was during the Babylonian captivity of Israel, and God is speaking to and about Israel. So the first thing we need to talk about is what does God mean by 70 weeks? Now this, of course, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Uh, the Bible was not written in English, and it was been translated into English in, in many different English versions. Some English versions say 77s. But the key word here that's translated weeks or sevens is the Hebrew word Shabuah. And the word Shabuah in the Old Testament Hebrew text refers to a period of seven years. It's used 20 times in the Old Testament. On a few occasions, it can refer to a period of seven days, but it always either means seven days or seven years, most often seven years. Let me give you an example. Back in Genesis chapter 29, You remember the story of Jacob uh, as he was uh, negotiating with Laban to find a wife, and uh, he is is given Rachel, and he's told he has to work one Shabuah in order to uh, earn the right to marry her. That is seven years. And indeed, he worked seven years, and then, of course, Laban uh, pulled a switcheroo, and he got uh, Leah, so he had to work another Shabuah, uh, seven more years, uh, to actually get uh, Rachel. So there's a clear example where the word Shabuah is used to mean uh, seven uh, years. And not only that, the reason God worded the prophecy this way to Daniel is that it is in the context of the 70 years of captivity that Jeremiah had prophesied. So God essentially says, look, I've told you what was going to happen for those 70 years. Now I'm going to expand that and give you not just the next 70 years, but the next 70 times 7 years, 70 Shabua, 70 Shabuas, which would be 490 years. And so that's why we call this God's 490-year timetable. So very important to understand the meaning of the word weeks. It means a seven-year period. So God tells Daniel that 490 years have been determined to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, it couldn't be more clear from those descriptions that Daniel is talking about when the the kingdom will finally come, the kingdom that had been 
referenced again and again and again. It had been promised through Abraham. It had been promised through the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. All of the Old Testament prophets spoke of that wonderful day. Isaiah in particular has a lot of discussion about the coming reign of Messiah. And that's what Daniel is talking about here, that there will be 490 years and then the, the kingdom will come. The, uh, the Messiah will take the throne. It will be a time of everlasting righteousness, as we read. And so then he elaborates on this 490-year plan. And, of course, you can imagine how Daniel was thinking, wow, this is you know a long time from now, which he had no inkling that God would later on institute the church age and there would be a further delay. Jesus talks plainly about this delay in passages like the parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13. He talks about it in the parable of the Minas in Luke 19, that he's trying to let the first century Jewish people know that there's going to be a delay in the kingdom. But certainly from Daniel's perspective, as they were in bondage and hoping to return, which shortly after Daniel's uh, prophecy here, they begin uh, to return under you know Ezra, Nehemiah, and so forth. Um, but from his perspective, 490 years is a long time. It's almost like God says, okay, you've been in captivity 70 years now. Just wait. You got 490 more to go, and then you'll get your, your kingdom, the long-awaited kingdom of peace and righteousness and justice. So from Daniel's perspective, I'm sure that was somewhat discouraging. Uh, but nevertheless, God begins to elaborate and explains how these 490 years are going to play out. So again, we're, we're, we're talking about the lead-up to the coming kingdom, which really is the same question the disciples asked in... Uh, in the book of Matthew chapter 24, when in the final week of Christ's earthly life, just days before he would you know, carry the cross up the Via Dolorosa and be crucified for our sins and rise again the third day. But just days before that, he preaches the Olivet Discourse, a sermon that he preached from the top of the Mount of Olives. I talked about this recently on a podcast. And the disciples wanted to know, hey, Lord, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? When is the kingdom finally going to come? And as I mentioned a moment ago in Luke 19, which happened just a few days before the Olivet Discourse, it happened the day before the triumphal entry as the disciples and Jesus were on the outskirts of Jerusalem waiting to, to ride in the next day on the back of a donkey, or Jesus was. Uh, the disciples, we know at that point, because Luke tells us under the inspiration of the Spirit in Luke 19, that the disciples thought since they were near Jerusalem and it was Passover that this was it, that, that Jesus was going to ride into Jerusalem and, and, and inaugurate the kingdom, throw off the, the oppression of Rome and institute the long-awaited kingdom. And Luke tells us because they thought that, Jesus corrects them by giving the parable of the Minas in which he describes a king that goes away for a long time and then comes back eventually having received the kingdom and inaugurates it. So um, this is really the same kind of question that Daniel is asking here. When is the kingdom going to come? And God answers that question by saying it'll be here in 490 years. But he elaborates on this when after giving the timetable of 490 years, he says, know in, in verse 30, in verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So seven Shabuas and 62 Shabuas or 69 Shabuas, meaning 69 seven-year periods. So Daniel gives us the beginning point 
by referring to the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Well, we know historically that that was the decree of Artaxerxes, which was issued on March 5th, 444 B.C. And we know this from Nehemiah chapter 2. So Daniel is given this prophecy by God, and God is looking ahead in the near term to this forthcoming uh, prophecy and uh, to or this forthcoming decree rather to restore and rebuild Jerusalem after the captivity. And God says, when that happens, the clock starts ticking, and 490 years later, the king will come and establish the, the long-awaited kingdom. And so uh, he says the way this is going to happen is from the time of that decree, after 483 years, and remember, 69 seven-year periods, 69 Shabuas, after 483 years, the Messiah will come, but he says in verse 26, he will then be cut off after that, a reference to the death of the Messiah, the crucifixion. And he says not only that, but after that 483rd year, not only will the Messiah who has come be cut off, but the temple and the city will be destroyed. So Daniel is sort of listening to this and he's thinking, well, how can this be? How can the kingdom come and yet the Messiah be cut off? When the, when the Messiah comes, he's going to reign forever and ever. That's what um, you know. God told David in 2 Samuel and reiterates many other uh, places through the prophets. So let's explain uh, what's going on here. The, the 490-year timetable of God has two parts, 483 years and then a final seven years. And Daniel plainly says that from the decree of Artaxerxes to restore and rebuild the temple until the Messiah comes, arrives on earth, if you will, will be 69 Shabuas or 483 years. Now, what's very, very interesting is that if you do the math, you know, 483 years in a Jewish calendar, which has 360 days per year, amounts to 173,880 days. Now, I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers here at you, and this is a podcast. It's hard to maybe follow without a visual aid. We do have a video on the 490-year plan as well. But uh, but the 483 years is equal to 173,880 days. And if you go back in history and you start counting day after day from the decree of Artaxerxes, March 5th, which, we, which begins God's 490-year plan, and you count forward 483 years to the day, 173,880 days, as I said, you actually arrive at the most widely attested and accepted date for the triumphal entry of Christ, which occurred March 30th, 33 AD. Now, don't miss this. This is amazing that God's prophecy was fulfilled, God's prophecy to Daniel, exactly to the day. The first 483 years of God's 490-year timetable were fulfilled exactly as Daniel said. Daniel said there would be a decree. 483 years later, the Messiah the Prince would come. And exactly 483 years to the day after Artaxerxes' decree, Christ Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, offering the kingdom, as it were. But then notice Daniel, as we said, says that after the 483 year, 483rd year, a couple of things would happen. He says the Messiah is going to be cut off. And he was. Just four days after he rode into Jerusalem, he was betrayed in the garden, arrested, tried, and crucified. 
just like Daniel said would happen after the first 69 seven-year periods, or the first 483 years. And then Daniel goes on to say not only that, but what's going to happen next is the temple's going to be destroyed. And indeed, that happened as well in 70 AD, uh, some three decades after the crucifixion. So, so far, Daniel's prophecy has been remarkable. And, and all of Daniel's prophecies regarding the various kingdoms on earth and so forth have been fulfilled so strike with such striking accuracy that many liberal critics of the Bible have insisted that Daniel must have been writing much, much later. There's no way he could have known all this. Well, of course, we need to remember uh, the book of Daniel was written by Daniel, the human author, but it was written by God, the divine author, as all of Scripture is. And so it should come as no surprise to us that God's word is accurate and reliable and trustworthy. So we've gotten through 483 of God's 490-year timetable for Israel, 483 years, and now we're in this time after the 483rd year, but what about the final seven years? What does Daniel say about then? Well, in verse 27, he says, then, in other words, after the Messiah has been crucified and after the temple has been destroyed, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. He's talking here about the prince who is to come, the Antichrist, because in verse 26 he says, Messiah will be cut off, and then the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and, and the end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war and desolations are determined. In other words, God's times of the Gentiles, when the Gentiles will continue to hold Israel in oppression like they were under Babylon in Daniel's day. So he says, then he, that, that is the prince who is to come, referring to the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one more week, for one week, one Shabua, one seven-year period. So the final seven years, this is critical, listen carefully, the final seven years of God's 490-year timetable do not begin until the Antichrist has arisen and signed a peace treaty. And that starts the clock ticking on the final seven-year period. Just as the decree of Artaxerxes started the clock ticking on the first 483 years, and they ended with the first advent of Christ when he came, uh, similarly, the final seven-year period will not begin until the Messiah, uh, until the Antichrist, rather, has, taken, has signed the covenant uh, of peace, the peace treaty, uh, and then that starts the clock ticking. And then that final seven-year period is what is referred to throughout Scripture uh, variously as the, the great day of the Lord's wrath, the overflowing scourge. Jeremiah calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. Jesus refers to it as a time of tribulation and the great tribulation. It's the great day of wrath that the book of Revelation talks about in Revelation 6.17. Uh, it's an hour of trial that's going to come on the whole earth. It's an hour of judgment. Uh, it's the birth pangs that repeated to the Old Testament talk about. Birth pangs meaning that very painful moment just prior to giving birth. Well, similarly, the final seven years prior to the return of Christ to establish his kingdom is going to be a time of birth pangs on the whole earth. It's called a day of distress, a day of trouble, a day of vengeance, a day of desolation. It's called uh, the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's called the day of wrath, as, as I mentioned. Zephaniah calls it a day of darkness and gloominess. Uh, and it's basically the outpouring of God's wrath 
on the earth. And as we talked about recently in a podcast, when I went through the book of Revelation in about 30 minutes, uh, that seven-year period is going to include a series of judgments of God's wrath, beginning with the seal judgments that are the wrath of God, and then the trumpet judgments that are the wrath of God, and then the bowl judgments leading up to the battle of Armageddon. So what we need to understand is that this final seven-year period has not happened yet. Uh, Jesus talks about it at length in the Olivet Discourse, and after giving all of the signs that, that correspond perfectly to the book of Revelation of the things that will be happening in that seven-year period, Jesus says, just as, and he's speaking here to the future nation of Israel, uh, just as when you, know, you see a fig tree begin to sprout its leaves, you know that summer is near. Similarly, when you see all of these signs that I've just described for you, you know that my coming is near. In fact, he says, the generation that sees all of these signs will be the generation that sees my coming. And it's that seven-year period. Now, a lot of people have misunderstood Matthew 24, 34, where Jesus says, this generation will not pass away until they see these, till they see my coming. They've misunderstood. Jesus wasn't talking about the generation to whom he was speaking. As with all prophecies, he's speaking to one generation, but he's speaking about a future generation. In the same way that, for example, um, David received the prophecy of a king someday. Well, David never experienced that in his day. Or Isaiah the prophet uh, gave the prophecy of, a, of the Christ child being born of a virgin. Yet that didn't happen 700 years earlier uh, before Christ. It didn't happen for 700 years. So God all, always speaks to a prophet in a generation about a prophecy that will happen in a later generation. And that's what Jesus says in the Olivet Discourse. He says, this generation, the one that sees all these signs, it's not going to pass away till they see my return. So the same generation that's on the earth when all of these signs occur will be the one that's there when Christ comes back with his bride, the church, to establish and inaugurate the long-awaited kingdom. So this seven-year period is crucial to understanding God's end times plan, and it all emanates from this 490-year timetable that the book of Daniel gives us. It's called often called the 70 weeks prophecy. But remember, the word week is an English translation of the Hebrew word Shabua that means seven-year period. So it's really a 77-year periods that we're talking about here. And uh, so that's why we call this God's 490-year timetable. So what's the takeaway? What do, we, what do we take from all this? Well, first of all, when we get to the New Testament, after the destruction of uh, you know, the temple and the death of Messiah, we see uh, in that context a, a, new, a new work of God established called the church that was born on the day of Pentecost in 33 uh, A.D., and uh, the church is the bride of Christ. It has a number of unique purposes that, he, that, that we as a church are serving in God's uh, plan of the ages. You know, we are here to showcase the exceeding riches of God's grace and mercy like never before. We're to, to get Israel's attention because of the unprecedented access that we have to God through the Holy Spirit, who permanently indwells believers in this present age. Never before in human history have God's people been permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The present church age is intended to showcase God's wisdom to Satan and his demons. We see all of this in the New Testament uh, spelled out explicitly. Uh, it's also intended for the present church age to help prepare a body that will help rule the mess in the Messianic kingdom, help rule and reign with Christ when he comes back. We're going to, as he told the disciples, sit on 12 thrones with him and help 
uh, rule. So there's certainly in God's plan of the ages a unique purpose for the church age, but it doesn't mean that God has forsaken his promises to Israel. He just pressed pause. As Romans 9 through 11 tells us, God has temporarily, not permanently, temporarily set aside Israel. And the place of his blessing, signified in Romans 11 by the olive tree, uh, is now being occupied by the church. But God's not through with Israel. He's able to graft them in again to the place of blessing. By the way, the olive tree there in Romans 11 is not Israel. It's, it's always amazing to me how many people miss that because the text says that Israel that the, uh, the olive tree belongs to Israel, <laughs> that it, it belongs to Israel. It can't, they can't be the olive tree and own the olive tree at the same time. It's not possible. They are not the olive tree. They are the rightful heirs to the olive tree. The olive tree in Romans 11 represents the place of God's blessing. And because of unbelief, Israel was set aside. They rejected the Messiah. They crowned him with thorns. And the church has been grafted in, not to Israel, but into the place of God's blessing. I like to call it center stage in God's uh, stage on earth. Uh, But someday, as Romans 11 makes clear, the deliverer is going to come out of Zion, and Israel is once again going to be center stage. The King of Kings and the Messiah is going to rule from Jerusalem over, as promised, a long-awaited global kingdom. So we are right now in this present age living between the 483rd year and the final seven years of God's 490-year timetable. It's not surprising that God's prophecies might be fulfilled in stages. We saw that with the coming of the Messiah. The Old Testament prophets often merged together in one uh, sentence the aspects of Christ's first advent when he would come and be the suffering servant who would take away the sins of the world, like Isaiah 53 talks about, with his second coming, uh, that when he takes the throne and judges the world and rules with a rod of iron. Yet we know clearly those two events are separated by, so far, 2,000 years. So it's, it's not uncommon that God would give Daniel a prophecy of 490 years that has, you know, two stages. Stage one was 483 years, which is already complete. And as I said, it's completed to the day in remarkable accuracy. Then God says there's going to be some things that happen prior to the start of the final seven years. In other words, between the 69th week of Daniel and the final week of Daniel. And those things are the Messiah being cut off and the temple being destroyed. And of course, um, Paul tells us in the New Testament that another thing that happens in this uh, gap of time is the establishment of the church age. And I just went over some of the purposes of the church age. But make no mistake, someday in the future, the church is going to be rescued in a twinkling of an eye at the rapture, 1 Thess 4, 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Thess 2, uh, Titus uh, 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 2, uh, and, and also John 14, and many other passages that talk about the rapture. And then once we're raptured, then shortly thereafter, the Antichrist is going to rise to power. And when he signs that peace treaty, that starts the clock ticking uh, on the final seven years. And just as the first 483 years were fulfilled precisely to the day, we can count on the fact that that final seven-year timetable, the sub part of the 490-year timetable, 
will be fulfilled exactly as God says it would. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means that we need to rejoice, look up, be watchful, look for the signs of the times, recognize that as we see certain things happening on earth that are setting the stage for that final seven-year period, that must mean the rapture is even closer. And uh, we look forward and we say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, Maranatha. We can't wait to leave this sin-stricken world and be in uh, heaven with with our Lord and with our loved ones that are believers that have died before us. But if the Lord tarries his coming, we as members of the church need to be prepared to suffer because as Jesus promised, we are going to have tribulation. We may not face the tribulation, that 70th week of Daniel. Uh, we're promised we won't, but that doesn't mean we won't face suffering and difficulties. Um, indeed, the, the, the New Testament promises that the church will face uh, suffering. Uh, so the only question that remains is when. When will the trumpet sound and we, be, we will all be caught up to meet the Lord in the air? Uh, if the Lord tarries his coming, then uh, we need to be prepared for what lies ahead. There's probably more suffering coming down the pike. And certainly for many believers in Christ for the last 2,000 years throughout the world, they have experienced uh, unspeakable persecution and martyrdom. And the church in America is not entitled to avoid that. And we may face uh, terrible suffering. Uh, but if the Lord comes back, then we say hallelujah, and we know we have now shifted into that final uh, part of God's 490-year timetable. You know, just as for Jeremiah's day, people thought, boy, 70 years, that's a long time to wait for the kingdom. And then God told Daniel, 490 years, that's a long time to wait for the kingdom. And today we don't know how long the church age will be. We've been waiting for 2,000 years. Um, but when the rapture happens, and the people on earth see the rise of the Antichrist, then they will know time is short. Within seven years, the kingdom will finally come. Hallelujah. Well, thanks for listening today. I want to encourage you to check out our website at notbyworks.org, where you can find all kinds of resources to help you in your walk with Christ and all kinds of resources about uh, the end times. Uh, my uh, end times book, What Lies Ahead, a biblical overview of the end times, kind of gives a Genesis to Revelation overview of God's plan of the ages. And we have an entire chapter in there about God's 490-year uh, timetable as provided through Daniel. If you ever find yourself in the Denver metro area of Colorado, hey, I encourage you to come out to Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia on a Wednesday or Sunday. Don't forget, I'm not there this uh, Sunday, this weekend. I'm in New Mexico, and we will uh, post those videos once we finish with that uh, conference. But if we can ever do anything for you or help in any way, please feel free to reach out. You can reach us at 1-800-895-1851. Again, that's 1-800-895-1851. Or you can contact us by email on the contact page at notbyworks.org. Thanks so much, and God bless.